<laughs> no, it's great, right? All right, so um, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for coming. Um, Eric, great to see you. I'll be getting your questions here, so the instructions should be up in a second on how to hit that hashtag and put the questions in. I'm going to work them into the flow. We've got about 30 minutes to talk together. And Eric, we're going to start out, actually, we're going to do this conversation in three parts. Okay. Um, first, we want to talk about the uh, current state or what you're getting from the conference, the current state of the Lean Startup, and then mm -hmm. talk about the future of the Lean Startup, how things are, are going forward. Does okay. that work? Sure, yeah. Okay. You're the boss. <laughs> there you go. So um, what sort of things are you, are you seeing from the conference right now? Man, um, well, did we deliver on the promise I talked about this morning to see, have you see some people you haven't seen before? People learn something from it? Thank you, okay, good. Okay. So, so there you have it. I gotta tell you, the, the craziest part for me is as I walk around the conference, you know, people wanna come up and say hi and get the picture taken. And listen, I was working as a software engineer like 10 years ago. I did not think that was ever gonna be my life uh, for sure. And then but what's so moving about it, what's so awesome, is everyone wants to tell me about the startup that they're working on and the thing that they're passionate about and how do I think Lean Startup could apply or they've already applied it in you know, uh, the guys who generate the actual nuclear codes and uh, someone here selling socks and someone else is working on uh, eliminating poverty in the whole world by 2030. And I, mean, I could just go on and on and each thing is like, is more interesting than the next and different and never, you know, I, I can never imagine. So to me, actually, the, the whole community, you know, plus, like I'm trying to process that while we have these incredible speakers at the same time, it's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, there's a, a great breadth of people who are out there. Is the tenor this year different than last year or years previous? Well, we're way more corporate sellout this year than ever before because we got this, we got this kick-ass venue and a pretty good view. And I gotta say, I love having this space with natural light. I don't know. I think we're settling into a certain maturity as as a community. I, I do miss occasionally the the really early days had a kind of religious fervor and we're all sticking it to the man and it was like it had a little bit more of a revolutionary feeling to it. And now we're starting to, we have the privilege of tackling bigger problems, which means we have the responsibility of, uh, you know, managing risk in those situations and handling a portfolio of problems. And it's just like, it's a kind of a up-leveled conversation. But I think we're starting to get used to it, starting to figure it out. So I actually, I feel like there's a kind of a, a maturity to the conversation this year that is more than we saw in years past. And I actually think it's really exciting. And at the same time, it's important to remember that the, the, not just the majority, but the super majority, the vast majority of people that will ever have their lives touched by Lean Startup have never heard about it right now. So we forget, because we live in this, in this bubble of people who are really into these ideas, that the world of business, is, of business is impossibly vast. And there's just, I mean, I travel a lot still, I work with a lot of companies, and I meet companies, and most of the people I meet who work there, even at the senior management level, even who are very literate in business, they don't have a effing clue what I'm talking about. They haven't read the book, they haven't heard about it. Some of them, I swear to God, are just getting the memo about the internet and mobile. I get asked that question, you're from Silicon Valley, is mobile, is it here to stay or is it a passing fad? <laughs> Pretty sure it's here to stay. I mean, I'm, and then I'm like, you know, until we get to the bionomic implants. And they're like, well, you know, uh oh, like, what are we talking about? Like, just, you know, so there's this just incredible depth of humanity out there that has yet, is still working in very antiquated ways. And so I think it's sometimes hard for us to kind of keep our revolutionary spirit alive and also, you know, take advantage of the fact that we now have had this kind of body of work and set of proof points and case studies. And I don't know, it's a, it's a really cool combination, I think. I find it really interesting. 
So that gets us started actually in the conversation about what's the current state of the lean startup, right? And you gave a, a little bit of a, a sampling of that. Do you see, how do you see it in terms of different sizes of, of companies, the distribution of those who are new to lean startup versus um, those who have been around for, for a while? How does that distribution of those companies working out? I don't, I don't really have that good of a perspective on it, to be honest. I, I mean, it's just, there's just so many of you. <laughs> it's so hard to keep track. There's no, I mean, we, boy, I, for the academics in the audience, we, this is crying out for some kind of systematic survey and longitudinal studies and kind of figuring out what the hell is going on here. Not, not to mention, we now have enough data that probably someone could figure out, like, in a rigorous way if this thing actually works, you know. Be, be kind of nice. <laughs> uh, you know, so if anyone wants to work on that, like, please, for the love of God. Um, so I don't know. I keep thinking we're going to settle into some kind of pattern, and every year it, it gets bigger. Every year it changes. It's more dynamic. I think we now have a number of companies who have had enough longitudinal success with Lean Startup, both in the kind of hyper-growth Silicon Valley-style company as well as in the more traditional companies that have done these transformations that they're starting to inspire secondary, um, I don't want to use the word imitators, that's not fair. I don't mean that derogatively. I mean, just like that now that we had the success story, there are other companies saying, wait, I want that too. That's a benefit that I would like to see and, and capture. And so we're starting to see people who really you would categorize as mainstream customers, right, in the cross of the chasm language, like the early mainstream of this, still quite visionary in their own right, still very much gaining a competitive advantage from being the only company in their industry to be working and thinking in this way. But on the other hand, taking advantage of the wisdom and knowledge of kind of people who have gone before them and have kind of laid a foundation that they can uh, take advantage of. And so that's why you see, I mean, so many people here are here as part of like a systematic program of their company, like intentionally bringing people to the conference and, and building in it as, you know, as a kind of like the culmination of a training program, the development of uh, indigenous coaching programs. You know, there's just like, like hundreds and hundreds, but must be thousands at this point of people who have been trained as lean startup coaches, who don't work at a lean startup company, they don't work at a lean startup vendor, they're not part of a consulting company, they're just regular employees doing their job where these ideas have been incorporated into what it means to do professional development and training in that organization. So like those, those stories are new and you know we've tried to bring some to you from the stage, but I still think we're in the very infant stages of that. What that's going to look like? It's going to it's going to get way more exciting as we get more success under our belt. So, being that these are the early stages of those conversations at enterprises, what do you think are like some of the early success factors or early trends for companies to manage the cultural and organizational challenges to adopting lean startup? It's, it's actually really simple. I was just doing a talk for. Um, CEO and and all of his uh, direct reports for a big company and you know he was saying they're all in to do this transformation and what do they need to do next and I'm not a very good consultant to be honest because I was like listen to be honest I meet with a lot of people who are all in so I'm not especially <laughs> impressed and this is probably the last conversation we're ever going to have and you're not going to do shit about it okay let's just be honest right can we be honest for a second like everyone talks about the latest corporate fad thing they got excited about because they read the book or whatever, and most people don't actually do it. And they, and, and they were very defensive and, you know, like, you know, I'm being so, so rude they've invited me to this meeting and I'm, I'm telling them this un, very unpleasant truth. And, and I was like, look, the details are highly complex. So translating the principles into your culture's organization, making it industry specific, really building up the critical mass of political capital and success stories and case studies and coaching, like the details are incredibly complex. But 
conceptually, this is not complicated. If you want to do this, then the CEO of the company and his or her top staff have to say, we will do this. I don't mean to make it overly reductive. I'm not trying to be a jerk. But have you actually told the people that work here that if they don't do this, they will be fired? Obviously, you haven't done that because we're having this conversation. So like, when are you ready? And so it's like, well, I can't do that because, OK, so make me a list of all the reasons why you can't do that. You're worried that it, maybe it won't work in this place or that place or this Like, OK, every reason. Now you just identified the success criteria for the experiments we need to run to prove to you that it's worth using that. You know, like most CEOs have very few times in their career where they get to really say, I have made this decision and we are definitely doing this. So I take it seriously. That's a precious thing. If you do it, if you fire that bullet for this, you can't fire it for something else. So what would it take to convince you that this is for real? And then if you're prepared, if you have the level of discipline and executive leadership to make that kind of decision, then that part of it is actually relatively simple. And the people who work in most organizations, I don't care if you're a five-person startup or a 500,000-person enterprise, the people that do the work and are closest to customers already know they have the wisdom and the creativity to, to, to figure the details out. I, I never worry about that. If, where the will, you know, where the, where the executives have the determination to make it happen. So um, on Monday, we talked, you talked a little bit about this with Jason, and there was a little bit about um, people paid, are paid, do what they're uh, incented to do, and that sort of thing. And we were talking about uh, top down and also a little bit bottom up. So if you're at the bottom of the organization and you're trying to be, uh, you're trying to inculcate lean startup mm -hmm. up in the organization, what are some, what are some tips or, or ways for people to do that? The most important thing, everybody, I don't care what level of the organization you're at, everybody has some level of authority to make decisions. And it's like, this is your domain, no matter how small. Um, whatever your domain is, you have the power to adopt this way of thinking for whatever it is that you're tasked with doing. Like, I mean, from the factory floor to the C-suite, everybody has some set of responsibilities and some set of outcomes that they're responsible for delivering. So the way to be kind of the change agent, if you don't mind that, bit of business jargon, is to figure out for yourself. Now, everyone's always talking about, how do I get my peers to do this? How do I convince it? Like, OK, I get there's a certain amount of evangelism that's needed. But like, physician, heal thyself first. Do the actual work yourself to say, am I actually being experimental, customer-centric? Am I doing build, measure, learn? Have I tested my own work with MVPs? I don't care if the work is. Um, I'm delivering a PowerPoint slide for some executive, or you know, I'm building a giant factory. Whatever it is that you do. I was just talking to an executive who is responsible for labor relations for, for a huge industrial combine where they have very fractious union contract negotiations every three years. So we're like, have you done the work to ask yourself, like, what does the MVP of a union contract look like? And what was successful? Like? Could you imagine a non-contentious collaborative, you know, like to, to actually do the work yourself? And then after you've kind of done those experiments and built up some mastery yourself, then to get agreement with whoever the next level up person is. And I don't care if you're a five-person five company and you're a founder. Like, does your board, are they actually bought in to this way of working? OK, if not, what would you have to demonstrate to convince them? What evidence would they accept as legitimate that this is better than the way you were working before? Have that negotiation. and then. What you're asking for is not an unlimited budget to transform the whole organization. You're asking for enough authority, enough discretion, enough budget to run those experiments to find out together with whoever you're accountable to. Together, we will discover if these ideas can work 
in this organization. And don't take it for granted that just because some random person on some random stage at some random conference told you it's going to work, that that's necessarily true. I just said before, this has not been rigorously studied. So you've got to prove it to yourself. And don't skip that step just because you're excited about it. I mean, I appreciate the excitement, but be right. So how would you change that story for the startup right? that's, that's grabbed onto Lean Startup as a process and is now growing into that fast-growing Series B, Series C company that we don't want to see grow into being a big, siloed, massive organization? Yeah, I work with a lot of those companies. And um, I think that most CEOs have not actually really thought about what it means to have rapid growth of their company. This sounds so dumb. But like, I, I, meet with some, I just meet with somebody who uh, their company was like, I don't know, maybe 250 employees. And we were talking about how many of those employees remember the founding of the company and what it was like in the early hard years of the struggle. And like, if you're being very generous in your definitions, like maybe 25. So 90% of the people who work in this company don't have any clue what it means to start a startup. Okay, they don't know what it means. You, some of you are nodding along. You know the, the broken glass we crawl over to get the thing off the ground, right? Like what Peter Thiel calls a zero to one like pain. Most people, and, like, and now ask yourself this, all right. Before they joined your hypergrowth startup, what were they doing before? What was their previous job? Just the law of large numbers says it probably wasn't founding another hypergrowth startup from scratch. Because why are they working for you? <laughs> So probably they had a regular job. If you're lucky, maybe in a company that had just recently grown to 250 employees. But again, play the odds. What are the odds you only hire from companies that were founded exactly the same time as you? How are you hiring those people? <laughs> right? So probably they worked in a big company, just statistically speaking, or they're fresh out of college. or like They don't have your cultural DNA that you want, and they don't have founder magic pixie dot. Like, if you want them to work the way that you worked, and to make your company into a perpetual startup with continuous, like, what are the tools at your disposal to make sure that they get acculturated properly? And it, you can't leave this to random chance because the vast majority of people who work for you don't know what to acculturate people into. So how do you do that indoctrination? How do you do that onboarding and, and professional development? If you actually like work your way through the list of tools, it's like, well, you gotta really focus on incentives and job title, corporate structures, training and professional development. You gotta focus on holding people accountable. Like, you're like, that sounds like big company crap, doesn't it? It's the same problem. It's not actually any different whether the people are bureaucratic and slow because they've been in your company for 20 years or because you hired them into your company and they've had 20 years of other experience. The point is, having the experience of actually driving a startup from zero to hyper growth is just, it's a statistically rare experience. So the vast majority of people that are hired into the vast majority of startups need to be trained and taught and developed if you want them to work in an entrepreneurial way. And if you don't, everybody reverts back to what they knew before. And before you know it, you're working on one of those companies and you can't understand how it happened. So how do people do that? Are there good companies that they can take lessons from and, and look and say, here's a good example of a company that's done that really well? Or should they take bits and pieces from what they, what they learn out there? How would you recommend that people operationalize that well, process? We cram your head full of case studies from, from dawn till dusk at these conferences for a reason. So I hope that you found at least one or two speakers you say that story that resonated with me, that's a, an example that makes sense to me, that's something I want to try. 
But at the end of the day, every company is totally 100% unique. And so you have to build your own operating system. You have to build your own distinctive culture. You have to do the hard work, especially if you're a founder. Um, and I mean a founder of a company or the founder of the change initiative you want to transform your company. Either way, you have to do the hard work to say, I understand the principles in general, but how do those translate to this specific situation? And then you got to run the experiments, and you got to be wrong, and you got to be like, that jerk told me this was going to be easy, and all I did was build, measure, learn, pixie dust, and then ta-da, and it's not exactly working like I said in the book. And listen, if you're right and I'm wrong, like, you write the next book, and I'll learn from you. Like, <laughs> there's no magic to this. Like, we are all learning and discovering this together, and I don't think, I think we have only scratched the tiniest surface, like the littlest tip of the iceberg of what is known so far compared to what will be known as we run more and more and more of these experiments, we get better at this. So... So take that seriously and be like, you are better for better for us. You were on the bleeding edge of this, and you got to learn for yourself. You got to figure out for yourself what really makes sense in your own organization. Nobody can tell that to you. Super. So there are a lot of questions that are coming in here, and I'm going to shift now to talking a little bit about the future of Lean Startup. I'm working them in as much as possible, but a couple of these are getting weaved into this next question. So uh, the leader's guide and the long-term stock exchange efforts indicate in my mind, a, a future direction of the Lean Startup from where it is to where we envision it to go. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that and how particularly business fundamentals or business values are different for Lean Enterprises? Yeah, I, I'm always hesitant to use the phrase Lean, lean Enterprise because the engineer in me believes in precision language and I don't, really don't want to step on the Lean Enterprise Institute that's been advocating for lean manufacturing like for 30 years. So that you know, I, I want to give them the proper deference that, that, they're, that they're owed. Yeah, my, my work personally, I, I mean, did anybody, did anybody back the Leader's Guide Kickstarter campaign? Anybody? A few people, thank you, all right, awesome. So I've been in this kind of publishing experiment to take some of my work and, and, and test it out experimentally in book form, and I hope, hope you found it helpful, uh, uh, those who have copies. And the goal of that is to uh, be researched to inform the next book that I'm currently working on, which uh, hopefully will come out next year if I actually somehow find the time to write it. Um, working on it. I don't know if my publisher's probably here. Like, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm, it's definitely not being scope creep to death, and uh, it's not going to be way late and way over budget. I'm sure. It's going to be fine. But anyway, still figuring that out. Uh, and, and certainly the, the reason we called it the Leader's Guide is so much of my own work and my own thinking is focused on what does leadership look like? What are management structures? What does it mean to operate in this new way in the 21st century? And so like that's kind of one thread of my own research and writing and thinking has been about what does a truly modern company look like? I joked about Alfred Sloan in the 1920s, but like most company structures today, even the five-year-old super hot startups, like just look at the org chart, take an x-ray, and you are looking at the same org chart we have been building over and over and over again for 100 years now. And it's like, how could it possibly be the same. I mean, surely there's ways it can be improved. So really trying to think about what should the right structures be? What should the right process be? How do we hold people accountable? And what does that mean for us individually as leaders? What do we have to do differently than, you know, than our predecessors in the general management revolution you know, from decades ago had to do? And then, so that's kind of one aspect of my life. And yeah, you mentioned the long-term stock exchange. The other has to do with you know, as good as your management system is and as good as you make it, 
you don't control all the incentives that your organization faces. And so many of the incentives that we see organized, in, like are woven into the fabric of our world, have become infected with this really dangerous short-termism that I wrote about a little bit in the book, but I feel like is, is really foundational. If we're gonna have this revolution succeed, we can't be building these beautiful organizations uh, and then take them public and have that gravitational force destroy them. We, you all know what companies I'm talking about. You just, you watch it happen as these incredibly innovative organizations descend into madness. And it's not, it's not that the people got dumber after the IPO, and it's not that the, the product became less valuable. It's like, it's not that they didn't have a good management system, although some of them didn't, some of them did, some didn't, but like the, the raw fact of the matter is that we face these overwhelming incentives that start you know, in our political systems and our public markets, but that infect their way down even to the incentives of individual entrepreneurs. And you think about all the like crappy startups that are built to flip and you know, just the like real short-term energy that gets invested in that, all because the corporate development people who buy startups in public companies themselves face a really ridiculous set of short-term pressures and like, why would we like? Why do we want to outsource the selection of the next generation of Silicon Valley leaders, you know, to the corp dev department at big company X, when they don't have any idea? I was about to name a company. I was like, that's not fair. Uh, they don't have any idea what they're talking about. So it's like, so it trickles down, and we feel the pressure. And so, so I feel like there's kind of like a root cause illness that we we have to be taking swings at and thinking about how to fix both as leaders, as managers, as citizens, and then you know, I, I'm also trying to think about it as an entrepreneur as well. Okay, so how do companies then start to develop metrics and processes that get them to this long-term way of thinking versus the short-term, which we know can be kind of destructive? Yeah, you know, if you read a book called The Toyota Way, which obviously the startup way is, is a riff on and an homage to, one of the things that really profoundly affected me as I was reading that book in the, in the preparation for writing The Lean Startup was that when people study lean manufacturing, they have a tendency to focus on the process and tools the robots. Listen, robots are cool. Everyone knows it. Uh, and manufacturing involves a lot of robots. But the power of lean manufacturing has to do with uh, the culture and creativity of individual people. And it's all rests on, the Toyota product system rests on the Toyota company's philosophy of long-term thinking. Because fundamentally, if employees don't believe that the investments they make today in continuous improvement are going to pay off for them over a time horizon that they'll be around for, then there's really no incentive to do it. And you cannot create a Kaizen culture uh, if you don't have that long-term philosophy. And that really deeply resonated with me as I was developing Lean Startup because fundamentally, if you're doing something small and short-term, you don't need Lean Startup. You don't need to do a minimum viable product if you're just building a minimum product. Just build the effing product and ship it and be done with it, right? Like you need the experimentation and the vision, all this like uh, intellectual infrastructure that we have developed for Lean Startup only because you're trying to do something extremely big and ambitious and confusing and difficult to quantify and you don't have the resources you need and you have to be able to demonstrate viability as you go and you need, so like there's a kind of like reason why uh, that's a kind of a deeply compatible way of thinking. So we have to think, you know, a little bit more like a scientist who would, you know, might investigate a certain natural phenomenon, you know, for his or her whole life before really coming to understand it deeply. And, and the experiments that you do along the way, they're not important because of the individual experiment itself, it's because of what it allows you to learn and develop and grow towards that ultimate goal. Whether that goal is, as you've seen today, right, like that goal may be to create a new multi-billion dollar for-profit company, but it may be to, to have all kinds of other massive impacts that are, I think, also equally worthy. So I think that 
that long-term perspective is essential. And that's why, you know, when you look at, at innovation accounting, which is still the least loved part of Lean Startup, but still the most important. I'm sorry, accounting is still boring. I can't do anything about it. That's just how it is, but still very important. The reason we focus so much on the leading indicators of future growth and learning how to talk about uh, future learning in net present value terms. It, it's all about bridging this fundamental divide that when you're in the flat part of the hockey stick, your ROI is negative by definition. So, you know, Bozo the Clown, who's just setting money on fire not doing anything, also has an equally flat hockey stick. And from a traditional accounting point of view, and from a short-term quarter over quarter growth point of view, everything's the same, and it's zero. So how can we hold people accountable? How do we, how do we steer for success when we're in that kind of unknowable flat part before we see the hyper growth uh, take off? And so none of those questions even make sense at all if you confine yourself only to things that can be tested and measured and understood in the short term. Okay, so you got pretty, pretty deep on us right there. That was pretty good. You asked. Uh, all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to double down on that a little bit and talk about uh, traction in long-term stock exchange. Because if this flows the right way, you start as a lean enterprise, or lean startup. You grow into a fast-growing company that doesn't become a big siloed company, and you're looking for an exit, right? And the exits either get acquired by some big, massive company, and there's a limited number of those out there, yeah. or go public, ultimately, hopefully, in something that values the long-term nature of thinking that goes into, that's gone into your company from the beginning. Yeah. So should the long-term stock exchange gain traction, how does it change the rewards and incentives for that type of company or for an established company that chooses to join it? So I apologize in advance. Um, so uh, I am incredibly limited in what I can say about LTSE specifically because uh, building a new stock exchange, as you can imagine, has massive regulatory component that is a multi-year I mean, I got lawyers and lobbyists, like you wouldn't believe, trying to figure this out. So I, I, I can't talk that much about the details of what we're trying to build and kind of where we are progress-wise. So if I say this is a real company, we're really doing it, and we will have news hopefully next year uh, to share in more detail as we, uh, as we get further along the regulatory process. Our aspiration is to create an opportunity for companies to access the full, deep liquidity of today's public markets without the like, really malign corporate governance effects of the way that kind of today's public markets are structured. I hate the word exit. I hate it. Like it's, like, it's such a dark thing. If you're a customer of a product, do you really celebrate when it exits? I mean, I find it mo almost every time a friend of mine takes like a product that I really love and use, the day after the IPO or the corporate acquisition, I'm not a happy camper. You, and it's actually a great time to start a competitor. Because you know, I mean, just nine times out of 10, the thing that's exiting is the product. It's not going to be as good after as it was before. I, do I have to name specific products? You all, like, you immediately think of who I'm talking about. You just know it. And, and I, I just think that, in fact, we have built an ecosystem around that. This is like the kind of tragic, um, kind of dark thing at the heart of it that we have got to fix, that there has to be a way um, to create an institution of lasting value that will be a really um, that will live up to the like, potential and vision that we pour in. I mean, having a product achieve product market fit is such a rare thing. To squander it, it just it breaks my heart. So we have to do better. I mean, I just think we have to come up with some better way. Maybe the LTSC will be the solution that, that solves that problem once and for all. So I'll be incredibly happy. But maybe someone listening here has an even better idea. Please go do it. 
um, I, I look forward to putting you on stage and, and celebrating your success because this is something that we have to take seriously. And for all our talk about disruption and innovation and uh, changing the world in Silicon Valley, we tend to be a little bit myopic about our own ways of working and our own financial. It's like, this is not an area where I feel like we innovate as much as we ought to. And I gotta tell you, I've been talking about the LTSE for you know, more than five years as I've been like struggling piece by piece to figure out how to make it work. And I had a lot of Silicon Valley people who I'll pitch them the idea and they'll be like, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard in my life. I'm like, really? You're investing in like immortality, quantum <laughs> computing, teleportation, and this is the craziest thing you've ever heard? Like by Silicon Valley standards, is this real like that? Just like a slight different corporate governance structure for I'm like, that can't be right. But like somehow we treat the kind of the playing field that we have been given kind of by the like Wall Street ecosystem as a given rather than as something that is malleable and, and susceptible to change. I just think that's, that's too limited a vision for the aspirations we have as a movement. So we got to do better. So I know you can't talk about a ton of the details, but a couple that were published were saying three things that need to change in the company were executive compensation, um, information sharing, and investor voting. Is there anything